welcome to another episode of the Word of God. This week we're going to look at the sixth Sunday of Easter. Now we have been in Easter for five weeks now. We've got a sixth and a seventh week. And at the end of the seventh week, we celebrate the day of Pentecost. And toward the end of the sixth week, we're going to celebrate Ascension Day. All right, so what's going on? Jesus is resurrected on Easter day. 40 days after he's resurrected, he ascends into heaven. Now the number 40 has tremendous ramifications and is very meaningful in the Bible, way beyond again, this podcast, but it's a very significant uh, number, 40 days. He ascends into heaven. And so we will have a uh, scripture reading for the eve of the ascension and for Ascension day for our week the week of the sixth Sunday of Easter. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, before he leaves, he tells us that the Holy Spirit is going to be given and they were to wait in the upper room. This is the season of Pentecost. This is the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost on Pentecost Day. And in the second half of the liturgical year, we celebrate the season of Pentecost. And I'll say more about that in the coming weeks. So next week, we're gonna celebrate the seventh Sunday of Easter. And at the end of that time, as I said earlier, we'll be celebrating the day of Pentecost. Now, when you look at the sixth Sunday of Easter or the week of six Easter, what you'll find is the scripture readings in the Old and New Testament are very eclectic, meaning there's not one book that they're following for either one of them. In the Old Testament, we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy, and then Wednesday, it's Baruch. Now, Baruch is, again, Apocrypha. It's not in the 39 books of the Old Testament. And then we've got 2 Kings, Ezekiel, and Ezekiel. And Ezekiel chapter 1, and then he goes to Ezekiel chapter 34 on Sunday. Again, what's very helpful is if you're not used to reading the Bible or... you're not not sure what readings in the Bible are important or which ones are significant. This is why the daily lectionary is so good, particularly in the Old and New Testament. In the Old Testament books, which cover 39, um, and the New Testament epistles, particularly. Now, as I said last week, in the Gospels, there's four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they run through Matthew, Mark, and Luke throughout the year, And they run through John in special times of the year, mostly around Christmas and Easter. In the New Testament, we're going to be looking at James and Hebrews, James and Hebrews. Okay, Hebrews comes before James. James comes after Hebrews. James has got five chapters. Hebrews has 13. And we're going to be looking at a few books, chapters, Uh, in our New Testament, and then we will conclude with a study of Luke, Luke chapter 9, where we left off last week, through uh, Luke chapter 12, and there for Ascension Day, we have the great text in Matthew 28, 16 to 20. So let's look at it briefly. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 is a beautiful chapter I love immensely because it is very practical. He says in verse 1, 
the whole commandment that I command you today, you should be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Okay? So God is telling the Israelites through Moses, here's what I want you to do. When you go and get the land that I'm going to give you, which is what Joshua is all about, I want you to make sure you remember me. Remember, I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one that blessed you. I'm the one that's taking care of you. I'm the one that you need to lean on. I'm the one that's going to help you. Now, that's going to happen if you obey me and you obey my commandments and you do what I say. So it's imperative that people speak the word of the Lord and then the people obey the word of the Lord. Now, if they forget the word of the Lord, verse 11 of chapter 8, and they don't keep his commandments and they don't keep his rules and his statutes, then there's going to be some significant consequences. Now, this is kind of a paradigm, really, for Genesis to Revelation. The Lord has told us what he wants us to do. It's contained in his holy word. He wants us to follow what he tells us. If we will follow what he tells us and we remember him, and we remember how we got here, and we remember it's all due his love, to his loving hand and his graciousness, we will be blessed. But if we forget him, and we go our own way, and we do whatever we want, we're going to have a big problem. And God is going to not be happy with that, and will deal with us accordingly. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. Now, 2 Kings chapter 2, 1 to 15, is about the raising of Elijah up to heaven. And what he is doing, and this is on the eve of the ascension, this is a foreshadowing of the ascension of Christ. Elijah was taken up into heaven, like Christ was. So that's a very important text. 2 Kings chapter 2, 1 to 15. Now on ascension day, we're going to look at the book of the prophet Ezekiel chapter 1. This is on the Thursday. Ascension Day is always on a Thursday. And actually, it's a major feast day of the church. There are seven feast days, and Ascension Day is one of them. Okay? So you might have church services uh, in an Episcopal or Anglican church on that day. Ephesians 1, 1 to 14, and 24 to 28. Now, here is a vision of the Lord, and the glory of God is being shown. When Jesus ascends into heaven, the glory of God is evident for those that have ears to hear and eyes to see. This is an extraordinarily important event. Jesus only stays for 40 days. Again, back to what I said earlier about that number being a significant number, in the Old Testament particularly. That's a significant time frame. And he does his business preaching, teaching, and some ministry in that 40-day period, and then he's raised. And so we look at Ezekiel chapter 1 about the glory of the Lord and the power of the Lord, which is obviously evidenced with Jesus. That's followed by Friday, where we look at the end of Ezekiel and look at chapter 2 of Ezekiel, that is his call, through verse 3 of chapter 3. Here's what he says in chapter 2, verse 8 following. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like the rebellious house, that rebellious house, which is Israel. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it, and it spread before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back, 
and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. Now, Ezekiel, particularly the first couple of chapters, are pretty amazing. And they talk about Ezekiel encountering God on a very mystical level, very profound level. God really evidences himself and shows himself to Ezekiel. Again, something akin to the glory of the Lord, something you would expect in Easter time. And finally, we finish up in Ezekiel 3, 4 to 17. Go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them, verse 4. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language, verse 6, whose words you cannot understand. It, surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you. For they are not willing to listen to me. They're not going to listen to me. They're certainly not going to listen to you. Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. And that is not a good thing that you want to have with God. You want to have a soft heart and you do not want to be stubborn. You do not want to be recalcitrant. You do not want to tell God what you're going to do and what he's going to do. You do not want to disown the Lord. You want to be pliable. You want to be flexible. Another way to say it is you want to be humble. So he says, go and tell the exiles. Thus says the Lord of God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. Now, what I love about this, and he becomes this extraordinary person, this watchman for Israel, for the house of Israel in verse 16. I love the watchman idea in verse 16 to 17. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning. And so Ezekiel is a watchman. Sometimes I operate as a watchman. Here's what God is doing. Here's what God is saying. You want to be aware of that. Remember, the watchman is a person that stood way above in a tower uh, in, a, in the city, uh, out in the city gates, but on a tower very high so they could see if anybody was approaching. If anybody was approaching that was dangerous, then he would let the people of the city know about it and everybody would prepare. So you want to be, Ezekiel becomes a watchman for the people of Israel so that they can hear the word of the Lord and be prepared when something happens. Now we have James and we have Hebrews. James chapter 1, which is after Hebrews. Let's turn to that. James chapter 1, beautiful chapter. Chapter 1 and chapter 5. Now, James is very practical. James is much like um, the book of Proverbs. Romans is very practical, as I said last week, in chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15 but very, very heady, very academic, uh, very doctrinal oriented about the faith in the early chapters. So he threw out James and read it slowly. You're going to get some very good practical suggestions on how you want to live your life. For example, I'll just mention a few. Verse 12, chapter 1. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil or with evil. He tempts no one. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Wouldn't that be great if everybody did, did that, including us? 
Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Isn't that great too? So we are getting rid of evil and we're taking on virtue. We're getting rid of our vices. We're mortifying our sin, Colossians 3, 5, and we're increasing in virtue. That's what you want to do in your daily living. Okay? Sin decreases, virtue increases. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Verse 22. So we have some beautiful words from James. Read those slowly. I think you'll be very much blessed by them. In chapter 5, verses 13 to 18, is anybody suffering? Anybody prayer? Anybody need prayer? Anybody cheerful? Let him sing praise. Anybody sick? Call the elders of the church. Confess your sins to one another. Verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power with its working. So your prayers are effective. Your intercessory prayer, your prayer over other people, your prayers for healing. Very important, very significant, James tells us. Hebrews chapter 2, 4, and 5. Now, Hebrews is a difficult book, I believe. And um, it's got a very strong Jewish tone to it. And we do not know who the writer was. It could have been Paul, but I don't think so. But the person was very smart and very, very familiar with the Old Testament and very familiar with Jesus. So he juxtaposes their understanding of the Old Testament with what Jesus did and tells us these extraordinary revelatory um, theological ideas of what Christ has done. All right, so we look at chapter 2, 5 to 18, and he's quoting the Old Testament. Again, some of this is fairly easy in terms of its understanding, and some of it requires a little bit more help in terms of understanding what he is saying. I love verse 18. He's talking about Jesus. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus is very familiar with where we are. That's verse 14 to 18. He's very familiar because he suffered as we did. He understands humanity. He understands what your needs are. The idea is to come to him. Seek repentance, but also help when you are being tempted. Chapter 4, 14 through 5, 6. Since then we have a great high priest, verse 14, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin. There's that famous verse, several verses uh, several, a couple in Hebrews where it says that Jesus did not sin. So let's with confidence, one of my favorite verses in Hebrews, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in time of need. So go to Christ. If you're being tempted, go to him. If you're in trouble, go to him. Be sensitive to the leading of the spirit to draw you to Christ. And finally, Hebrews chapter 5, 7 to 14 about this we have much to say, verse 11, and it is hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. Does that remind you of something, Ezekiel? Jeremiah, by the way, speaks about that a lot. For this, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. He says, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word, work of righteousness since he's a child, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have powers of discernment trained by constant practice 
to distinguish good from evil. Constant practice, brothers and sisters. Great word for the end of chapter 5 of Hebrews. Constant practice. This is not something you do one, one for five minutes. It's not something you do once a week. It's constant practice. So enjoy the verses in Hebrews and in James. We're back to the book of Luke in our journey with Jesus. We're in the middle. We're looking at chapter 9 and chapter 11. Let's turn to chapter 9. And we are looking at um, verses 28, 18 to, to uh, 50. 18 to 50. Okay? Jesus uh, asked the crowds, asked the disciples, what the crowds are saying. Who do the crowds say that I am? Well, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah. This is verse uh, 19. Uh, one of the prophets, and then he looks at each of them and says, who do you say that I am? And that's a question directed to all of us. Contextually, it begins with the disciples. But practically, it comes back to us. Who do you say that I am? And, of course, Peter responds to Christ of God. Then he has the famous, take up your cross and follow me, followed by the transfiguration. Now, the transfiguration is a very significant event in Jesus' life where he is transfigured with Peter, James, and John, goes to the mountain, and his clothing changes white as snow, white as white could be. And he's showing the glory of God. And God actually speaks here. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This was an extraordinary event. And Jesus is showing his glory, knowing that when he is going to die and he's going to be killed and then finally buried, he's going to be resurrected because in the end, God will glorify his son by raising him from the dead. And again, this is a great scripture as we look into his ascension and his glory. Followed by his healing of a boy with an unclean spirit, Again, the power of Jesus' healing, followed by, again, a foretelling of his death. So he tells him, here's what's going to happen, folks. What's going to happen, Jesus? The Son of Man is about to be delivered in the hands of men. He tells them in another place he's going to be crucified, he's going to be killed, but on the third day he's going to be raised. Then an argument arises about who's the greatest. They're arguing in front of the creator of the universe, who's the greatest. And then finally, John says, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. And Jesus very interestingly says, Do not stop him, for the one who's not against you is for you. Don't preempt him. Again, back to the idea that Jesus is teaching the disciples. He's teaching the people that's following him. He's interacting with the Pharisees. He's interacting with different people. He's sharing his message. He's also doing extraordinary things in his actions. Okay? Let's skip to chapter 11, verses 1 to 13, the Lord's Prayer, and further teaching that Jesus gives us. So now we're now kicking off into a 
mode of teaching and sharing the message of the gospel. And of course, the Lord's Prayer, I'm sure all of you know quite well. We end up with Luke chapter 12, 22 to 31, where again, he's teaching them. Now, this sounds very much like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, but Luke does not place the Sermon on the Mount and the teachings like Matthew does. That's, again, a very academic question far beyond what this podcast is about. The key that you want to get out of this is you want to read these words. You want to read this teaching. You want to think about them in the light of what you're doing. Very simply, therefore I tell you, verse 22, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will drink. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. Seek his kingdom, verse 31, and these things will be added. What should I be focused on? You, should be, you and I should be focused on the kingdom of God. We should be focused on the kingdom of God. That's what you need to be focused on. That's what Jesus said. So as we prepare ourselves for the ascension, enjoy your week of reading concerning the ascension of Christ. Everything's pointing to that. And then next week I will be with you to share with you our preparation for the season of Pentecost. God bless you and have a good week of reading and studying.